This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Vegas.com. I've been uh, told by the boardwalk higher-ups that people are upset about my ad reads, uh, both fans and uh, companies alike. They say... Sometimes I'm a little too uh sometimes I'm a little too vulgar. Sometimes I'm a little too fast in the ad read, sometimes I'm a little too slow. Getting all kinds of notes. Uh so in um in a in a kind of a protest here, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the ad, just the ad read, no jokes, nothing else. So Vegas.com has got the best deals in Las Vegas hotels of every type to help you find the perfect room that will fit your budget. Next. Looking for a cheap stay in a clean cubby? No problem. How about suites of epic grandeur and luxury Las Vegas resorts? Yep, got them, too. Yeah, next. Before you make your Las Vegas hotel reservations, read hotel reviews from people who've actually stayed there. So you'll know you're making the right choice. Next. Acrobats, divas, magicians, jokesters, showgirls, and puppets. <laughs> wow. The new the new lions, tigers, bears, oh my. There are so many shows in Las Vegas that you can't possibly take them all in. But there's not a doubt you'll find something that'll blow you away. Good thing Vegas.com has tickets to all of them. Need help finding the best things to do in Las Vegas? Vegas.com knows what you want, and we've got it. Roller coasters, check. You know those famous roller coasters in Las Vegas? The uh, the ones that everyone goes to Las Vegas to go on, the roller coasters? Machine gun shooting ranges, yep. Zip lines, we've got multiples. <laughs> we've got more than one. Uh, Zipline. Free attractions? We've got those too. Don't you love those free attractions? I love to be asked, do you want to go see a free attraction? Uh, Vegas is the place to do what you would never do at home, and we're going to help you do it. Vegas.com offers the best package deals on Las Vegas vacations with more than 400 airlines from 1,700 departure cities, plus world class Vegas resorts, so we can help you create a great vacation package at the best price. And booking your flight and hotel room together can help you save on the entire package. Well, that's uh, that's the ad read. I guess I did make fun of it a little bit, which is probably going to get me in trouble here. But uh, this is how I'm going to read ads from now. Just monotone voice, making a couple jokes. I'm a little hungover, which is probably why I sound more monotone than usual. But that's it. So find the best deals on hotels and trips to Vegas. And listeners will save even more by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash Vegas. That's boardwalkaudio.com slash Vegas. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast of the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first... The best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button, shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. This is the final episode of the same sketch pitch, uh, which is, seems like it's been going on for a while, right? Such a such a long month. I guess it's the fifth episode. Uh, wow. Uh, and we're finishing it up with Mike Drucker. He's written for both Late Night and The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon, Bill Nye Saves the World, Adam Ruins Everything, The President Show, and Full Frontal with Samantha B. currently. Mike's got a lot of experience in late night and with different shows in late night, so it was really cool to chat with him. So here is Mike Drucker. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm originally from South Florida. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so around Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Did you like growing up there? Um, 
I think it's a good place to grow up. It's not a place I wanted to spend the rest of my life. It's, you know, kind of, even in the best of days, which it wasn't always, it's kind of, there's nothing to do there if you're creative. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, if you're Pitbull, you can live in South Florida <laughs> and be creative. Uh, but outside of Pitbull and Gloria Estefan, it's really hard to, like, live in South Florida and be creative. So, uh, yeah, so I liked it. It was okay, but I didn't want to live there for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Were you interested in comedy at a young age? Uh, I liked comedy at a young age. I didn't think I'd end up doing comedy. It was never something that I thought that someone could actually do. It always seemed like a fake job. Uh, so, But I liked it a lot. Like, as a kid, you know, growing up, especially in Florida, you take a lot of road trips. So we'd listen to, like, you know, audiobooks, and sometimes we'd listen to, like, old stand-up. And I always liked listening to old stand-up more than, you know, crappy albums that my parents liked or, <laughs> you know, bad audiobooks. What what uh what stand ups were they? Do you remember? Uh, stand ups like George Carlin, Sam Kinison, uh, Richard Pryor, like a lot of old seventies and eighties standards, uh, and then like random people whose names I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, so essentially just the classics, like the classic classics. But mm-hmm. still, it like was something at a young age to listen to at the very least. Yeah, um, I wouldn't call them now like the biggest. It's not like they're like my biggest inspirations of all time. Right, but right. having them at a young age was good. So I, I've never really listened to Carlin or Kinnison, and I heard I've heard Carlin is like still like good, but yeah. Kinnison maybe not. Kinnison does not hold up that well. I, yeah, some Carlin does, some doesn't. Like some clearly comes as very like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be edgy, edgy, and yeah. it, it's not edgy anymore, so it doesn't have its shock value. And a lot of Carlin still stands up. That said, like. None of my comedy will stand up in 20 years, so <laughs> I am not the arbiter of what does and does not stand up. It is funny, though, when people like say, like, oh, my favorite comedian is Lenny Bruce. It's like, has, have yeah. you ever laughed at Lenny Bruce? Like, no, one, no one's laughed at Lenny Bruce for 35 years. But I get it. I get, yeah. like, some people, you know, some people like a comedian because they're like, oh, man, that their jokes are amazing. They make me laugh so much. And some people like a comedian the reason that some people like certain musicians where they want to be that person. Yeah. You know, like, there's a difference between, like, being like, I love David Bowie's music and I wish I was David Bowie. And when he died, you could see, like, two different t- sort of types mm. of people talking about that. Um, Comedy is the same way where, like, some people really want to have, like, a leather jacket and, like, smoke outside <laughs> of a club. They want to be Dice Clay. They want to be Dice Clay. <laughs> a lot of comedians still want to be Dice Clay in some form or another. And some just want to, like, be goofy and have fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, so when you were younger, were you doing, like, any sort of, um, like, comedy stuff or any performance stuff or any writing stuff or anything? No. I mean, I did a lot of writing. I liked writing, and I thought I might want to be a book editor, which is originally mm. what I went to NYU. I wanted. I was like, oh, I'll, like, go to New York, and I'll work in the publishing industry, and I'll learn how to edit books, and that never happened at all. Um, but... As a kid, yeah, like, I would, like, do things like we had a talent show when I was at, like, some day camp when I was a kid that, like, I tried to tell jokes at and totally failed. Um, I think, like, I wanted to be funny. I don't think I was a class clown, but I think I was a wannabe class clown. Like, I sort of wanted to be funny and kept whiffing throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely had it in me. I don't know if I necessarily did it a lot, but I was trying to figure it out in some mm-hmm. way or another. So you went to NYU for yeah. for book was was like your major like book publishing or it was English but I was thinking of getting into publishing yeah yeah what what did you decide publishing just because you liked I like books I yeah. like books and I also never considered myself special enough where like I would create something so <laughs> yeah. I was always like oh yeah like someone else will make something and I'll be like and I'll ride along with them <laughs> yeah and that to me was like the closest I would ever get to creating anything at all <laughs> it's funny because. Uh... 
like I do writing, and, and I I feel very comfortable like writing scripts and, yeah. and TV and stuff. Yeah. But writing a novel just seems like a completely different it's, beast. To be much more difficult than writing like a let's say a TV show episode or something. It's so frustrating to write. I, I recently uh, wrote a book that's not announced, and it's a very small book. It's a very tiny, tiny, tiny short book. So it's the lowest difficulty setting for mm-hmm. writing a book. And when I got notes back for it, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to make these changes. And they were all very reasonable notes. It wasn't like something weird where you're like, man, nah, I don't I don't think that's right. It was all like, no, that's right. That's correct. That mm-hmm. is the right feeling on this, and I don't want to go through the effort. Um yeah, writing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I know there there are some people who like legitimately enjoy the whole process of it, which mm-hmm. it seems kind of um, insane to me. It's insane to enjoy the whole process. There's moments I enjoy. Yeah. There's moments when like you hit a great run and you're like, oh wow, I can write. That's yeah. fun. But the whole process, no. Yeah. It's fun when you write a really good joke. That's like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's fun when you write a great joke. It's bad when you have to write a joke and you're just staring right. at a screen and terrified. <laughs> So, uh, what what happened to shift you into comedy at NYU? Um, I don't know, really. I think that it was one of those things where people said I was funny and that I should try comedy. And I think I just got it in my head. And because I was at NYU, there's a lot of open mics around town. It's, it's a lot easier to start comedy at, you know, New York than it is to start comedy in, like, Central Florida, South Florida, or wherever. Mm-hmm. So... I just was like, okay, I'll, I'll do an open mic and just see how it feels. And I, you know, prepared five minutes that didn't work and went to an open mic, just bombed for five minutes, but felt like it was a cool enough success that I wanted to keep trying it. And so I kept trying it and I kept doing it. And so, uh, how old were you when you started? I was 20, either 21 or 22 yeah. when I started. Yeah. What, what do you talk about when you're like a 21 year old comedian? You think you know everything, man. You, fucking, <laughs> you talk about George W. Bush. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Definitely, oh, wow. Definitely some some late stage George W. Bush humor in there. Um, you just talk about uh, dating, which you know nothing about, but, but <laughs> pretend like you do. Yeah, you just pretend like you know things. It's funny watching like old, not old, but like ten years ago or even longer than that, the George W. Bush era standups. Yeah. yeah. Where there's a lot of just like. Very angry, like, uh, yeah, you freaking Cheney man. Just like, I don't know. It's and we didn't fix it though, we didn't solve the problem. No, it's it's maybe worse. It's maybe it's, it's pro- pro- probably pro- worse. probably gonna be worse. It's not worse right now, going to be. Yeah, uh, when you started stand up, what were the moments where you're like, okay, this is like something I could do? Um, it would just be like, I would do well, I you know, got picked by who's now my management company to do this competition. For Disney, like they sort of like found one of my clips online and they were like, hey, would you like to do this stand-up thing? And I did it and that helped me get management really early on. And that was kind of a moment of like, oh, I can do comedy. Or at least like someone in the industry will actually notice me. Mm-hmm. And then I started to submit to places like McSweeney's and I would get stuff published in McSweeney's or I'd start to get this, uh, stuff in The Onion through freelancing. And so the more I got into things I respected and liked as a kid, the more I was kind of like, oh, I'm I'm actually doing comedy now. I'm mm-hmm. doing it. It's just hard. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. How'd you get involved with The Onion? I did a stand-up show with someone who was one of the editors at the time. Oh, cool. And she's not now, she now works on, I think, uh, Modern Family. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she was like, hey, do you want to submit to The Onion? And I was like, of course I want to submit to The Onion. And I was lucky enough to get stuff in. What was your favorite headline from that time? My favorite headline from that I ever wrote for them 
is probably an op-ed that says, uh, there's nothing to fear but fear itself, and also me, the ghost of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, <laughs> which was just very fun. Uh, the first thing I got in, I think, was... Uh, it was... Uh, Something like Twisted Sister announces plans to take it. Something like that. You know. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I like yeah. that. It's evergreen. It's evergreen. It's an evergreen. <laughs> it's, it's either ne- yeah. not, not at all or evergreen. <laughs> Definitely had a lot of political ones I have since forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you also you interned at SNL. Is that is I interned that right? at SNL? I was a research assistant at SNL. I started to become a very prolific uh, Weekend Update joke writer at SNL. Yeah. Well, what's like? What's it like? Well, first off, what's it like being an intern at SNL? Uh, it's fine. Um, I mean, it's kind of like being an intern anywhere. Where when you're needed, it's kind of cool because you're like interacting with these famous people, and then sometimes everyone's like, "Go hide into a closet," <laughs> which is the same as it is anywhere. Um, it wasn't. It was very crowded. There was a lot of interns, so you had to work really hard to stand out. And I kind of felt like me and one or two or three other people were like the comedy nerds who were there. So, because, you know, a lot of people, they want to meet famous people or yeah. they just enjoy showbiz, but they're not comedy, comedy people. And then there's comedy, comedy nerds. And I think that a bunch of the writers and cast members were very nice to us because we so clearly just loved comedy. It mm-hmm. wasn't like we weren't there to, like, meet, you know, Alec Baldwin. Right. Um, yeah. So what, what year was that? Like, what cast was it? Uh, when I was an intern, the cast was, it was literally, the, my first year as an intern was the first year of Bill Hader, Andy Samberg. Oh, that's like the big, Jason Sudeikis, yeah. Jason yeah, Kristen Wiig, yeah. That was their first year, so that was my first year. Wow, that must have been kind of cool, because I, I assume you probably didn't know who they were, really. Until... No, they didn't know who I was, I didn't know who they were. Yeah. Uh, but I've since worked with some of them, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, how did you become a Weekend Update contributor? I... They, I sort of like mentioned doing comedy. They're like, well, you can send jokes occasionally if you want. And I was like, great, we'll do. And I just did every week for a year until I started to get stuff on. And then I started to get stuff on and started to snowball and I'd get more and more. And I sort of just figured out not how to do it because you never really have it totally figured out. But mm-hmm. I, I understood the rhythms well enough to get a lot on the show. Is there a difference between like uh, writing those jokes versus like Fallon jokes? Sure. Every Every monologue joke has a different... Mm-hmm. feel to it when you write jokes for whether it's seth myers or or jimmy fallon or samantha b as i do now or when i was writing a president show you're kind of doing an impression of the person you're kind of thinking about the way they talk the way they they move through it the physicality of how they tell the joke um you know whether they do because someone like jimmy loves doing act outs he loves doing accents mm-hmm. he loves doing impressions so you throw that in there you know someone like seth does not so you don't throw that in there unless necessary so you kind of um it's almost like it's, it's not that one's harder than the other. It's just kind of that you have to just pretend that you're that person writing that joke and not just be yourself the person who would write the joke for Twitter. Mm. Yeah. And how long did it take you to like figure that out? Um, the first time it took me a long time because the first – like when I was like writing jokes on Weekend Update at first, I was like, this is what I think would be funny. This is how I'd tell the joke. Right. You know, Because in your head, you're the best comedian in the world and the best comedy writer in the world. People just don't know it yet. Where And then after a while, I was like, kind of almost like, you know, like when you make fun of something in your head and you do like an impression of it to make fun of it because you're annoyed with it. I almost did that in my head and I was like, well, I should actually try to do that seriously and Mm -hmm. just try to get the rhythms of the way that Seth and Amy at the time tell those jokes. Mm -hmm. And it worked. (laughs) Uh, So after college, you're working at SNL? I was working at it. I 
after college, I went to grad school for one year, got my master's in English lit because I didn't know what I was going to do with yeah. my life. And uh, then I briefly worked two different places that fell through, and then I worked at SNL. And so during this time, you're still doing stand-up? Yeah, still doing stand-up. And so are you like England for like a writing job? I, I wanted one. I really wanted one. I think that when I started to get a lot on the show, I kind of expected one, which was a dumb thing to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really, really, really wanted one. When did you uh, get the Fallon job? I uh, left SNL after a couple of years because I had been getting a lot on the show and they weren't hiring me as a writer. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Seattle and I worked as a writer at Nintendo for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what? then I went to San Francisco and I worked at, I did funny videos for a video game website and then I got hired by the Fallon people in 2012. So for for Nintendo, like what do you what do you what stuff are you writing? I was what was called a localization writer. So I'd work with a Japanese translator and I'd make sure things made sense in English, jokes would make sense. Um, sometimes it would even be like, you know, they translate something and be like the accent that this guy uses is kind of like rough and tumble. So you'd be like, okay, is that like a Brooklyn accent or what? Um, so you just localize the game and you'd work with, I'd also on my team have a Latin American translator and a French American translator for like the Quebec audience. And you guys would just work as a team and localize the game. Wow. That seems like that job would be like a lot of fun. It was super fun. It was a super good job. So you're working like on like uh, the Wii games, I guess. I was worked, uh, the games I worked on were Kid Icarus Uprising for the Nintendo 3DS, mm-hmm. uh, Mario Party 9 for the Wii. I did a little work on Zelda Skyward Sword for the Wii. Uh-huh. Um, and then like little things here or there. So were you like kind of like translating jokes for like Mario and then like trying to fit it in like Mario's voice? Sort of. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of crazy. And like a lot of times, like it's not just jokes, but you'll have like idioms, you know, like things where yeah. it's like, you know, like it's one in a hands where two in a bush and you're like, okay, like some Japanese idiom that makes no sense to Western audiences. But you're trying to be like, is there a phrase that's close to that? Is there a way to phrase that? So it's not confusing. Mm-hmm. Because um, a lot of people think that translation's just like, okay, make sure that there's commas there and there's an exclamation point, we're done. And a lot of it's like, this would make zero sense out of cultural context. Right. Um, so, but it was super fun. It was a great company. Did that um, experience, like, does that help you with your comedy writing today? It definitely helps me with comedy writing. Um, because when you're working with game writing, you're often working in branching paths. And with stand-up, sometimes you kind of have to do the same thing where you kind of have to, you know, like anticipate, okay, some people will react this way to this, oh, right. and then I could follow it up with that, or some people will react this way, and I'll follow it up with that. It's sort of, you know, following a thought the different ways it can go and preparing for those instances. That's interesting. So do you, like, so when you're writing now, do you think about that, like, which I, way? Yeah, I do. Like, I, I try to, like, anticipate how people respond, especially with stand-up. It's yeah. harder with things like scripts, but with stand-up, you could definitely be like, if this does this... Respond this way. If it does this, respond this way. Is your stand-up very, like, written out? Um, sort of. I, I definitely have, like, a list of all the topics I want to talk about. I'm very bad at um, doing, like, the small maintenance work that I should do where I, like, fix it up and move words around and mm-hmm. polish everything. I'm too lazy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you worked at Fallon. I worked at Fallon. How, how did that job come about? I, in 2012, I was a new face at the Montreal Comedy Festival. And I did really well there, and they saw me, and I think that at the time, the person who was running Late Night with Jimmy Fallon was this guy, Michael Shoemaker, who had known me when I was uh, on SNL writing jokes, and he was like, hey, he's really good at jokes, we're looking for a monologue person, let's bring him in. So uh, I came in, I had a lot of recommendations, I, I oddly nailed my interview, and got the job. 
going back to Montreal, how do you approach uh, like doing like a set yeah. for like industry? Um, I tried to make it relatively clean as per my manager's demands. Relatively clean, but also very like me. So very goofy and silly, but cleanish. Mm-hmm. Is that like uh, is that like a big thing? It. My managers say it is. I don't <laughs> want it to be. I don't think it is as much as they think it is. But people want. People think that they want clean comedy because they can like mark it, put it on TV, they can and market like, it. No, they yeah. don't have to do anything. They that's don't perfect. have to do anything at all. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it is because you know you don't need the you can you can just take out the swears. Yeah, <laughs> you can you do can that just later. Bleep or it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, did you have to write a packet for Fallon? I did, and a couple packets. Yeah. How, in general, how do you like approach writing a packet? Um, same thing where you're writing, where you're trying to do an imitation of them. A, a lot of the time, when I have to write a packet, I'll watch a bunch of that show beforehand. I will, as much as you try to figure out what they would say, you try to figure out what they don't seem to talk about a lot. Um, Both because you're like, oh, this would be, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, they would love talking about this and they haven't. And sometimes you're like, okay, I noticed that, you know, this person never swears at all or this person never mentions sex. And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, if this person never mentions some things that are relatively common for other comedy people to mention, don't put it in there. Mm -hmm. Um what people often do wrong with packets is they make the they make they write a really funny packet but it sounds nothing like the host or the producer you know like the person you're writing for so a lot of it's just finding the voice watching them figuring out what they would say what they wouldn't say um reading the news and catching up if it's a topical show and Mm -hmm. then just writing it so if you're writing for like say jay leno yeah talk about the cars get the denim in there but yeah but yeah because that way it's like oh you know his voice yeah you know, you don't want to overdo it where it's just those things. <laughs> or And you don't want to do it sarcastically, but, yeah. like, shows are always looking for people who understand their host. Right. Yeah, I guess that, that does make sense. <laughs> it seems dumb, but it's it's so true. Mm-hmm. And so this was your first uh, full-time television writing job. That was my first job. Yeah. Was that a difficult transition? No, it felt like it was what I'd prepared for my whole life with like SNL, uh, with like Fallon stuff and with like the different writing gigs and moving a lot. It felt so natural. It, mm-hmm. Like I hit the ground running really well there. I got a lot of stuff on the show fast. I guess it makes sense too because you're like back in New York. I was back in New York and it's like something that I'd practiced a lot, which was just like writing a ton of setup punchline jokes about the news. It was something like I took to really quickly. Mm-hmm. So once you get like the host voice down, yeah. how do you approach writing a monologue joke? Um, you again, it depends on the host, so it's like, you know, what what news to look at. You look at the news, you sort of, you know, you write a setup which is usually just all the truthful information that you can get inside, you know, where it's, you know, today, you know, President Trump turned into a, a donkey and then you're like, okay. Then you have the punchline, the punchline's like whatever it would be with President Trump turned into a donkey. Uh, And the punchline is the hard part, obviously. And what I would do is I would just write a ton of jokes where I write the joke over and over and over again, iterating a little differently each time, and then be like, okay, I like this one, and that's the one I would send in. So you'd write the the same joke but with different wording. Different wording, different, like, ideas. Like, as you're writing it, you're like, oh, what if it turns this way a little differently? Just trying to, like, Mm -hmm. turn it around more and more. And then I'd pick the version of that that I'd like the most. Are you someone who'd write like a bunch of jokes and yeah, then yeah. take it back, or just write? You'd focus on a couple jokes. I'd write a lot. Yeah, I'd, I I was better shotgunning. 
Did didn't you find that was like a better like a did work out for you? For me, it worked out. Yeah, for me, it was tiring and it definitely burned me out sometimes. But it worked for me the best of the joke methods. Yeah, especially if you're like you're going back and like really digging into yeah, them too. Totally, that's a lot. It's definitely a lot. But I was scared and wanted to keep my job, so <laughs> I, I did that, and it worked. I mean, it worked. I kept yeah. my job, and I was like got a reputation as being a good joke writer. But it definitely burnt me out. Do you uh, like working like a, a late night schedule? Um. Yes, ironically, because late night schedules aren't aren't late. Yeah. Aren't late. They're like pretty solid nine to six jobs, mm-hmm. whereas most like sitcom shows are very very late nights. Right. Yeah. And so that you were you started out off at late night with Jake yeah. Fallon, and then it went to the Tonight Show. Then become Tonight Show. What was it like like switching to the earlier time slot? Um, it wasn't that bad for the writers because we kept like the same offices and everything. I think that there was a slight adjustment in style where we were. I mean, it's still Jimmy, so it's still, like, a little bit cartoony, but, like, I think we turned it down even just a little bit from the weirdness. Like, Late Night, if you watch it, was just a little bit weirder. Um, so that was about it, really. It wasn't that bad. We didn't really change our workflow that much. Mm-hmm. Like, we had talked about it a lot. There was, like, a lot of talk about, like, different ways we could do things, but it ended up being mostly the same writing style. What kind of stuff do you say, like, works on Fallon that wouldn't work elsewhere? Um... You know, felt you know. I think the audience on that show, as Jimmy has said on that show, is that you know they like to have fun and goof around. So there's a lot of stuff that like you know there's a there's a goofiness and like sort of a you know game showy type cartoonishness that he can pull off that other people often can't. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just what he's that's the style that the show's chosen. Yeah, yeah. What what kind of um, or what's your favorite joke that you had on Fallon? My favorite joke that I had on Fallon. Um, is probably I wrote this really dumb graphic readout, which was there was this new story where Leonardo DiCaprio sued this French magazine for lying about getting Rihanna pregnant. Like they just didn't, so he sued them for slander or whatever, and he got paid nine thousand dollars. <laughs> and I remember seeing that news story, and to me, sticking out being how much money to me nine thousand dollars is, but how little to Leonardo DiCaprio right. nine thousand dollars is. So I wrote this graphic readout that was Leonardo DiCaprio making a statement where it was just... And it was Jimmy reading as Leo. Yeah. He wasn't there. But Leonardo DiCaprio was like, it's like, you know, this ruling is important to, you know, the privacy of celebrities who de- deserve, you know, to leave a dignified existence. You can't just make accusations about them. And then there was like a beat and it was like, also, I got $9,000. <laughs> and it was just him talking about what he was going to do with $9,000. And it was like him being like, I'm going to buy a new TV and a couch. <laughs> like, because it was just so fun to imagine a celebrity being excited about $9,000. And yeah. it was such a goofy, dumb thing. Um, but the fact that it went and it went exactly the way I wrote it was super fun. Um, and it was sort of like... It, it was always nice when, like, your Venn diagram of your sense of humor crosses over into the show's sense of humor. Right. Which isn't always the case for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of difficult to, like, try to stay true to what you want and then also fit the show at times? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's on any show. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote on um, Adam Ruins Everything with one of my best friends, Adam Conover. And he, I've known him for 10 years. I'm great friends with him. But there would be times when we would disagree on, like, what should be in his show. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it was his show. (laughs) And it wasn't, like, major things. But it's just the way the creative process works. The hard thing with being a TV writer is you have to give up some control. Right. I think when you're a writer, you convince yourself that, like, you are, like, this wizard that dreams this world into existence. (laughs) And you have all power over it. (laughs) 
but everything from budget to the performers to the producers to other writers you got to work with all of them mm-hmm. at at fallon are you writing with like a lot of celebrities um i wasn't as much because that wasn't my specialty but mm-hmm. if you specialized in it you would yeah and i worked with like one or two just not a lot what's it what's it like like writing with the um it's not that bad yeah. you know it's like writing with anybody some celebrities are super like they they super want it to be funny and they want it to be hardworking. I mean, they are hardworking. They want it to be good, and they'll work with you to make sure it's a great, funny sketch. And then some celebrities kind of want to show up and just read the thing you've written. Yeah. And sometimes one's better than the other. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> someone who's super involved isn't great because they really want to make a lot of changes that you don't think are the best. And sometimes someone who just wants to show up and read is good because they just show up and read. And vice versa. Sometimes it's bad because they have no idea what they're doing. And sometimes the other person, you know, is good that they're involved. Right. So it depends on the person. What uh what prompted you to uh leave Fallon? I had been there about four years and I'd started to get job offers from other places and I really wanted to see what else I could do. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good job, but it was also a job that I'd just done so long for, you know, four years that I just I don't know. It was just time. It yeah. was time to do something else. So what'd you would you work on after that? After that I was the head writer on the Netflix Bill Nye show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I did Adam Ruins Everything. Mm-hmm. Then I did President Show. And then I did Sam B. So how did uh, the Bill Nye show come about? Uh, my agent was like, hey, they're throwing the show together. Do you want to apply to it for a writing job? And I was like, yeah, sure. Because I'd, I'd been slowly applying to a lot of jobs. And they were like, hey, do you want to be head writer on it? And I was like, yeah, I would. So I moved out to L.A. and I did that. And it was super fun. It was good. It was a very hardcore schedule like we had to make it in 13 weeks i think the whole first season oh wow which is which is a lot um but it was still it was super fun and so you just became like the head writer they just, I just like became the head writer there's yeah. nothing else they just like said, just like you'll yeah, be the sure. head writer too like, yeah sure. yeah what were your responsibilities as a head writer um you know ma- managing the other writers making sure that people were getting scripts in on time uh helping decide which scripts we'd choose punching up scripts when someone else wrote one sort of like doing like a polish type role mm-hmm. Um, assembling the show scripts, basic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you like being like a head writer? I'm fine with it. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't miss it now. Yeah. Um, I liked. I like. It's cool to be in charge, but it's also cool to not be in charge. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> mind both. I, it paid a little more, which was nice, but mm-hmm. that's it. Did you? Uh, were you involved with like, the hiring of other writers at all? The second season, I was. You were the first so, season. I was not. Yeah. So what? What? What were you looking for when you were hiring writers? Um. I was looking for, we were definitely looking for people who weren't just like, I mean, I know it seems ironic because I'm like a straight white dude, but we weren't look. we were looking for people who weren't just straight white dudes because we had a few of those already and we want some different, different perspectives. You know, we were looking people with comedy experience. We were also looking at people who could potentially perform, although we ultimately didn't use that function of our hired writer. Uh, yeah, we were just looking for someone who was a good writer who we could put on camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what's it like working with Bill Nye in this comedic setting? He was great. He was awesome. He was super busy because he like travels the world doing speeches and stuff. Yeah. But he was great. He like pitched ideas. He'd been in TV for a long time, so he knows what works for him. He isn't like, you know, a lot of the time you'll work with a celebrity on something. And even if they've been on TV, they don't know how a lot of it works because mm-hmm. they're just like famous. And he knows how things works. He understood like when something didn't work, why it didn't work. He was super patient. He was great. 
how do you balance? Well, actually, how do you write for Bill Nye the character? Yeah. Um, I mean, Bill would read scripts, and he would like you know he would sort of separate separate out himself and the Bill Nye character, and mm-hmm. like we'd talk about like what the character would do here or there. Like he'd be like, I don't know if that's exactly the way I'd like want to do that. Interesting. So you sort of had the ultimate gate of Bill himself telling us what the character would do. And so was the, like, was the Bill Nye character like a continuation of the Bill Nye, the science guy stuff, or was it kind of a little different? I mean, it's it's the same person. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, I would say, like, it really is him. It's just a degree apart. Yeah. Like, there's just, like, a slight difference of professionalism, but it's still very much him. And I think him on that kid show is also very much him. Mm-hmm. How do you fit, like, the informative stuff with the comedic stuff? You, it's hard sometimes, and... You know, we weren't, I wouldn't say we were always 100% successful. I think that it's just, you know, you're trying to get as much information as you can, but you're also trying to make jokes on it. So it's almost like you want to create this alternating stack of like information, joke, information, joke, information, joke, you know? Mm -hmm. And were you, were you someone who was like very interested in like science and stuff? Oh, yeah. I was a huge, huge Bill Nye fan. I was a huge Beekman fan. I was a huge Beekman's world fan. Oh, (laughs) Beekman. Wow. I was a huge Beekman's world fan. Something that I would bring up at Bill Nye all the time and which would get nothing from anybody. <laughs> which would get zero response. I love Beekman's World so much. Wait, is Beekman, did he have his own show? Beekman's World? Yeah, he had his own show. There was a, there was a competing show. There was the smaller competing show to Bill oh, Nye's man. show was you, Beekman's you know, World. I was thinking of Beaker from no, the Muppets. <laughs> no, no, Beekman's World. There was this guy in a green coat. I think his actor's name was Paul Zaloom. And he had like big hair. It was like a much goofier cartoonier bill nye show like it was less informative <laughs> much more cartoony and jokey and bill nye was like you can't talk about beekman here he was just like he wouldn't really give me anything on it <laughs> it was like talking about someone who was dead to him <laughs> he wouldn't be mad he just wasn't giving me anything so after uh bill nye you worked on adam ruins everything adam ruins everything how, how did that come about um i've been friends with adam for a long time way before he had the show and when he first got it he invited me to write on it and it just wasn't the right time for me and then this time it was absolutely the right time for me. So I, I wrote on it and helped with the second season, which was super fun. It was a super fun show to work on. And this is another kind of informative comedy show. Another informative comedy show. Do you show. like writing this? I do. I think mm-hmm. they're fun. I like it. Like it's something that I enjoyed mm-hmm. as a kid. So I kind of enjoy making them now. What was the difference between like doing the Bill Nye style versus the Adam Ruins Everything style? Um, the Bill Nye style, style was much... Um, more presentational, whereas Adam's show is narrative. Right. So you kind of have to create an, a story around the facts in Adam's show, whereas Bill's show, you can do, like, fact, 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 then you can jump to something else and be like, fact, 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 and then jump to something else. But Adam, you have to really carefully connect everything. And you have to do those, like, the little characters to, to yeah. give them their moments. Exactly. Uh, when you're doing one of those segments, how much, like, research are you, like, doing yourself? You are assigned a researcher who does most of it, but mm-hmm. you're still, like, looking things up, and you're reading those reports they give you. Like, it's not just, like, they're like, here, make them say this word for word. Mm-hmm. You kind of, like, have to read it and synthesize it and figure out, like, exactly what these things mean. What, what like, makes for, like, a good Adam Ruins Everything segment? Um, it has to be... On the show, I think they would call them something like truly remarkable facts. So it has to be a fact that is surprising and also undermines something that is commonly believed to be true. Mm. So it can't just be like, you know, did you know this person had weird teeth? Like it can't be like some – it's not like a fun fact. It has to be something where you're like, oh, I always thought that the reason that we, you know, take off refrigerator doors is this. And it's like actually, we, you know, something totally different. Um, 
which is hard because you have to find something that's, you know, commonly believed but wrong. Usually mm-hmm. when people want fun facts, they're like things that everyone already knows. Right. The I remember the diamond ring one yeah. I thought was like specifically a really, exactly. really good one. Yeah. Would you, do you remember any segments that you did? I worked on... Um, I worked on the episode Adam, uh, Emily Ruins, Adam Ruins Everything, where we did a corrections episode of the things we got wrong oh, in right. previous episodes. I did the weight loss episode. I did the Halloween episode. Um, like, everyone pitches in on everything, but those are the mm-hmm. three that I specifically wrote myself. What are, like, the difficulties of, like... Dick, do you ever find, like, that re- the real-life facts got in the way, and so you had to, like, kind sure. of change jokes? Yeah, all the time. Uh, you just drop the joke. For, especially for that show and Bill Nye, like, you the fact was more important because that's right. what we're trying to convey. So you'd totally change the joke if the fact got in the way. It was that like frustrating as like a, it's super frustrating. Yeah. It's super, it's super frustrating, especially late in the process because you know, it's right. Like it's not something that you can just be like, ah, it's fine. You know, like yeah. you have to change it. You can say, I think there should be another corrections episode actually. I, yeah. <laughs> just for the jokes you want to make. God, I wish. Uh, and so after that, you worked on the president show. President show, yeah. And how'd you get hired for that? I had known uh, the showrunner Christine Nangle for some time. I had known her when I was an assistant at SNL, and uh, she had liked my work since then. So she hired me on, and it was great. It was some of the most fun I've had in TV. Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, in general, when you're like between jobs, yeah. what are the steps you take to find another gig? Um, let a few people know that I'm looking for a job. My agents and managers are reaching out to people. You know, um, usually like you're sort of like paying attention to what new shows are like starting up, like whether it's announced on Deadline or you have friends who are talk about starting a new room on whatever social media channel, and you kind of ask around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also, what do you do like in the downtime between jobs? Usually write stuff for myself. Try to mm-hmm. decompress a bit because yeah. you can get very burnt out very easily. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And so with the with the president show, you were hired in the in the middle of the season. Yeah, was that like easy to slot into? For that show, yeah. Mm-hmm. For that show, I fit really well. Some shows it can be hard because depending on the environment, some people are very territorial where they're like, I right. write this or I get this much on every show. President show wasn't like that at all. When you like first get into a room, yeah. like what do you like? I guess what do you do when you're in a room? When um, you first get into a room, when I first get in the room, I'm really shy. So usually, uh-huh. I just I just don't talk until someone introduces me, like it's the first day of school and I'm a transfer <laughs> student. Um, yeah, usually I just wait for someone to like. They're like, "Oh, hey, Mike, he's here. He's new." I'm like, "Hey, everyone!" And usually, like you've heard of some people through social media connections, just because the comedy community is not that big. Mm-hmm. So usually, someone's like, "Oh, I've heard of you through this," or I'm like, "Oh, I know you through that," and it's. You get used to it pretty fast. Everyone's there yeah. to work. And then, like, when you're first, like, in your first couple of days, you like kind of tense about, like, I gotta get some jokes in. I gotta yeah. get some jokes on. Yeah, always. I'm always so tense. I'm always so nervous about it. I'm always like, oh, I'm useless. They're paying me, and I'm, I'm they're gonna fire me because they're gonna realize I'm useless. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but when you get that first joke on, does it immediately kind of quell it a little bit? It quells it for like ten minutes. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I need to do this again. Now I've only done it once, and they're gonna think that I'm full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> So with the president show, how do you like write for Donald Trump's like POV through right. Anthony Tamanick and stuff? Um, it's hard. A lot of it is like doing your own little Trump impression, and it's kind of you're trying to like almost bleed out the worst of him. Like what Anthony's Trump was really good at was getting to like the dark, the dark hurt that was him. Like mm-hmm. what I think that a lot of other Trumps fail at is they're often like too cutesy or they're too like dumb on the face of it, whereas. Anthony's very good at getting to like the evil that's inside him. 
Yeah. Like, it's not an accidental evil. It's He's dumb, but there's a darkness to it, too, that's also bad. And um, so you just think about that. You sort of try to write the worst possible things as almost a cathartic way to excise Trump. Mm-hmm. It, I, I notice a lot of Trumps are just very, like, you know, orange guy, yeah. small hands, yeah. stupid hair. Yeah. And that's kind of all that's there. Yeah. But Anthony does, like, you can tell. I mean, you can tell it's probably exhausting for him to be that character. It, is. it also takes hours to get him into that makeup. I can imagine, yeah. So it is. I mean, he like, I think he likes that he got to play it, but I definitely know that it takes a lot out of him. Well, I know it probably, like, I don't know if the show's come back or what, what the deal is, but I'm sure he's, like, ready to move on in some yeah. respects from, like, that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we all are. <laughs> How do you handle like breaking news for like a weekly show like that? Um, for both that show and Sam B, it was just if something was breaking, we had to throw out what we had to th- to write about it. We'd throw out what we had to write about it, which is super frustrating because you'll have something done or near done script that's produced or graphics are made, and then suddenly you're like, oh, we can't do this anymore. We have to do something entirely different and rush write it. But you know that's also why they pay us so right. we can do that. Do you enjoy writing about like comedy about politics? I do. I mean, sometimes it gets tiring. Sometimes I get burnt out about it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't know what to say. Or sometimes I feel like I'm not saying the right thing. But I do like it. Yeah. There's kind of a weird like importance placed on those shows now. Right. Mainly because like, Trump watches, I guess, some right. of them. And he hears about them. It's kind of strange. I don't know. It feels like... It is strange. It feels like too much, maybe. It's definitely... I don't think that there should be as much importance on these shows because they should just be a way to like sort of like process the news. It shouldn't be mm. your first source of news. Yeah. It should be a way to like process it or be like, oh, like that's a funny take on it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's tough. It's weird because too, because like um, the, now the comedians are always getting like kind of dragged. I guess the social media term. Yeah. Uh, for like maybe like. Maybe not the greatest takes, or maybe yeah. not explaining things, or not doing the greatest joke, or something. Yeah. And it's weird that they're just getting like in so much trouble. Yeah, I don't know. It feels it's like what like do you, like Letterman getting in trouble like ten years ago for like, saying like something about Iran or something. Be like so weird. It's it's a weird time, and there's a lot of bad faith argument arguing going on. Like especially there's a lot of people on the right who are like, see, we found you saying butts twelve yeah. years ago, and it's like. Okay, what do you? No one's firing you for saying butts. What are you doing? No. So, I feel like there's this weird bad faith tennis game that's kind of happening at certain points in our culture. But I also think that there are certain things that are worth calling out people for. So it's a hard True. struggle where <clears throat> you know you don't want it to be like, no, you can never call out people. Everyone's fine, but you also don't want to be like, you know, someone said vagina 25 years ago, and we're you know firing them because on like MySpace they wrote a bad post. You know, yeah. like yeah. It's it's complicated because there's bad things and there's shitty things that aren't worth losing your career over, but they're both worth facing in their own way. Yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of it seems like kind of uh, maybe from the left more kind of started with like I don't know I don't want to say PC is a bad, bad term I don't I don't like saying that but like something like they were thinking about that sure yeah and then the rights co opted that to like a, an insane terrible right and degree. that's the thing yeah it's been co opted to an insane degree but it's also been co opted by people who do want to silence those people yes so, yeah. so it's not just like see we're just playing by your rules it's also like well we'd like to silence this person so we'll just use this to silence yeah. them yeah it's also made comedy just weird now because of that yeah. 
People, I, I heard a lot of people just started deleting tweets because they just, like deleted like all their tweets because they don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, I definitely went through my Twitter and did a search for like every bad word I could think of and didn't find it. Like I, I didn't find anything that was career ruining, but I definitely found stuff that I was like, oh, this is I, I'm not good at this. <laughs> like I definitely found tweets that are like, oh, this is just a like a bad joke. Well, especially if you've been on Twitter for like you know eight, ten years, yeah, yeah. you're gonna There's find some so some trash. duds. Yeah. But luckily, I was like, oh, okay, I did not write anything that would end my career. Yeah. Well, even if, if I, like, had tweets like James Gunn, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have done that. They're pretty stupid tweets. Right, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I wouldn't think those are career ruiners. Maybe, like, one or two. But, like, mostly not. Right. And he'd apologized for them in the past. And it was it yeah. was just such a weird situation. Yeah. It's a weird time. Yeah. Uh, but now you work on Samantha Bee. Uh, how yeah. did that start? I, uh, while I was at President's show, my manager was like, would you have an interest on coming to Samantha B? And at the time, I didn't know whether or not President's show was getting renewed. And right now, Comedy Central sort of has it on ice. Uh, so I waited a long time because I really like Samantha B's show, but I also really like being on President's show. And I didn't want to just, you know, leave one show I was enjoying for another show I enjoy because that felt a little mercenary. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I was like, I went to the producers at President's show and I was like, hey, I really think this is a good offer for me, but I'll stay with you guys if we're coming back soon. And they were like, you should go take that job. So I took it, and I'm really glad I did. It's an awesome environment. It's such a nice place. Sam is an amazing person. Uh, so I really feel lucky to be there. How did uh, like writing on Full Frontal differ from President Show? Um, you know, with Full Frontal, you're writing for sort of someone who's stating an honest opinion, whereas with President Show, you're writing for someone who's, you know, being facetious. Right. You know, you're writing for a character version of Trump. So I would say writing for President Show is much more sketchy. You mm-hmm. know, you're writing a character and you have to escalate and you have to escalate and you have to escalate. You have to, like, keep, you know, making the situation harder and harder. Whereas uh, Samantha Bee, it's much more like writing, a little more like monologue writing, although there's an informational build. It's a little more like writing for Adam was. Mm-hmm. It's always weird to me when you're like a comedian and now you have to be like this expert in politics. Yeah. Is that like a struggle do you find? It's hard in that uh, a lot of the people on the show definitely know more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you do have people who are trying to help you learn that stuff. And if you're, you know, if you're trying and if you're hired there, they, they already know that you know what you need to know. Like, you're not going to – nobody's going to understand every topic fully. That's why right. we have researchers. That's why we have research meetings. Uh, it can be annoying sometimes to not know what's happening and everyone's talking about something that just <laughs> happened. But it's not a handicap in any crazy way. I'd imagine you have to be, like, on Twitter a lot now. Yeah, you're on Twitter a lot, which is annoying. Which is, like – it's a weird thing that, like, Twitter is now, like – a almost like a requisite to like know what's happening yeah it's rough which is strange it's so it's, bad we talked about her before but just such a strange thing it's so strange um how do you write comedy about like the current times we're in you uh you go to therapy <laughs> uh i don't know it's you just you just try to like think about it in a it's hot ho- what's hard about doing comedy is also everyone said everything that needs to be said already right so it's kind of trying to think of new new ways to say things, new ways to talk about things, new ways to get people to care. You know, so many people are burnt out already on everything and just sort of like, just let it happen. It's tough. You're just trying to find new angles on everything. Um, and you try to just keep your head above water. Yeah. 
there's so much political satire now. Yeah. How do you how do you stand out from the rest? How do you have like a new take or whatever from the rest? Uh, you just constantly watch the rest. And yeah. You just try to not do their takes. Do, I know do you watch a lot? Do you watch a lot of the shows? Have, I watch a lot of the other shows. We have researchers and assistants who watch the other shows, mm-hmm. and we'll have meetings where someone will be like, "Oh, we can't do this joke. Daily Show just did it yesterday," or like, "You know, we could do this joke, but it sounds similar to a Seth joke from like two weeks ago." Um, which is the advantage of being weekly is you have a little more time to sift sift through everything else and make sure you're not copying. Right. I remember one time I saw on Twitter, like someone for late night shows, like the daily, the daily shows yeah. like did like the same joke, like yeah. almost like word for word, which is yeah. like insane. Yep. And that's that, that always <clears throat> happens. And it's not because of laziness. It's just because you have only so much time to turn around a joke. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's very easy to be like, this is the most brilliant way to talk about this topic. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, we all thought of Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You've been doing uh, Late Night for a while now. Yeah. How has it changed over time? Oh, man. Um, I would say before 2016, it was a much sillier place. Yeah. Which I liked. I mean, things were still serious. America still did bad things. I'm not one of those people who thinks that things mm-hmm. just got bad. But... Um, people always talk about like they're like oh you must feel so glad that Trump got elected gives you so much comedy and it doesn't because yeah. all the comedy has to be about him and it's I'm t- everyone's tired of it and you don't get to talk about fun things in late night mm-hmm. like you don't get to be like oh the world's fattest dog was found today like you don't get to do that anymore because you're so busy with like you're not like oh the bird made a nest in a in a mailbox like you don't get those stories anymore that were so much fun to write when you were a monologue writer right. because they were so goofy and ridiculous. Do you do you think people would want more of that? Um, no, <laughs> I think that I think that people want something different. I don't think that they want like a sort of. I don't know if they would want a monologue ignoring bad news and just talking about fun news. Yeah. Maybe as a web series or something, but I'd say <laughs> a late night show that would do it would be seen as like dismissively privileged. Yeah. It's kind of an unfortunate situation that right. they're in because you can't, yeah. Yeah, everyone's kind of doing one thing, but if you go the other way, yeah. it's like, it's very bad. There was so. actually a Fallon segment I really liked. I don't know if they do it anymore. That was called Good News, Good News. And we got to write good news that real news anchors would say, and they would record it as a segment. And that was super fun to write. That was before Trump. I left before Trump, before mm-hmm. the head pad thing. But that segment was fun because it just felt like, oh, like we're just writing good news in a goofy way. But I think that might have gone disappeared <laughs> when there was no more good news anymore. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Fallon, you know, fairly or unfairly got hit hard. And you got I, hit very hard for that. And I think yeah. I think a little unfairly. Yeah, sure. But, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you pat his head, you know, you got you're in trouble. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what's something that surprised you at working in late night? Um. Let me think for a second so I don't. It is a crazy fast production every time. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many moving parts. Like when you work on other TV things, like if you shoot sketches or if you work, you know, on a narrative show, shoots often are very slow. You know, you have a lot to do and you have a lot to get through within a short period of time, but it's a lot of getting there early, getting everything set up, getting everything ready, getting everything shot. And you might get like seven, you know, if you're lucky, like seven or eight minutes in one day of shooting with late night, everything is made super fast and you just don't have time. It's like you shoot something, you're done. And there's dozens of people who work on it. I think it's very easy to think of late night as like 
there is one person with a camera, one person <laughs> at a desk, and a celebrity walks in. But it's such a big, fast production, and the speed at which it's made, especially daily shows, is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy that you do like a you think of write a segment that morning and it can be on the show yeah. by the afternoon. Absolutely. Yeah, with, with late with like when you were in Fallon, were you having to write like the monologue jokes very early in the day? Oh yeah. Like yeah. how? Like what? What time? I would wake up five thirty in the morning to do it. Wow. Yeah, I'd wake up super early to do it. Did you have to like train your body to be like? This is a good time to be writing comedy. Yeah, yeah, and it, it broke me. It definitely broke me a little bit, but yeah, I had to train my body a bit to do it. So, how do you do like stand up at the same time as you're doing that? You just try to pace yourself. Yeah, you know, you try to pace yourself, and you just try to do your best with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, want to work more in narrative? Someday, I think. Someday, mm-hmm. I would. I think that I'm good at late night, and I've been offered a fair amount of work in it, so. It would. I'd hate to leave it right now when it's doing well for me, but someday mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind doing narrative. And what would you like to be doing next? I don't know. Maybe a cartoon or something. I have no yeah. idea. I I just like to keep working. That's yeah. it. As long as I can keep working, I'm good. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up uh, with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I had. Okay, great. Go ahead. Um, so you know how on Twitter I've been talking about Twitter a lot yeah, today. Yeah, a lot of Twitter. Uh, when a tweet goes viral, you know yeah. someone will respond with like, "Check out my SoundCloud" or yeah. something. So this would be like. Uh, that in like real life with like a doctor patient. So he's yeah. like, I have your test results, but first I'd like you to listen to my music. Or something like that. <laughs> right. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that's it from the escalate from there. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Uh, cool. <laughs> that's, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Just keep escalating from there. And I think that's good. All right. Uh, thanks for coming to the show. Anything you want to plug? Um, no. Well, uh, you can listen to my podcast, how to be a person. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, normal places mm-hmm. and, uh, watch Samantha B. All right. Thanks Great. for coming to the show. Thank you. This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardWalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.